0: Birders go where the birds are, and often that means going to places where one needs to be prepared for difficult conditions and the need to be flexible. With Global Rescue's Signature Travel Insurance, birders can be certain that if something goes wrong out in the field, they will be made right. And with policies that start at $20, there's a plan for every birder going to any place. Birders can also be certain that by purchasing Global Rescue Insurance, they are helping to support the ABA's conservation and community programs. For more information on ABA events to all corners of the world, go to events.aba.org. And for information on making sure your investment is taken care of, see globalrescue.com ABA. Hello and welcome to another episode of the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I am your host, Nate Swick. And as we move into the, the sparrowy and yellow rumped warbler y period of fall migration, I hope that you all had a great season. I, I certainly did. At the time when the last episode was publishing, I was out on the Outer Banks of North Carolina at the Wings Over Water nature festival. It's this sort of a smaller festival, sort of local. I've been helping out there for about the last five years or so, giving the standard why you should eBird" spiel and bird walk and leading a couple field trips. Um, this year I did an Outer Banks big day where we go before dawn to just after dusk along a section of the Outer Banks, about 40 miles top to bottom. And we managed to find about 117 species, which was a, a new record for me for that trip. So I was pretty stoked about that. Um, but the whole exercise with this this big day illustrates sort of a, a bigger point I've noticed with birders that I thought was pretty interesting. Um, so we had, we had six people on the trip, along with two leaders, myself, and another birder. I had uh, suggested that we try and fit into as few cars as possible because you know it's more fun and people tend to see more when there are more eyes on the birds around you and fewer eyes on the road uh, and in the past it always seems like there's always one person you know you who know, wants to go and drive themselves on these sorts of trips and they always you know miss half the things we see uh, so that's that's how it goes so we want to try to avoid that as much as possible so so i said right before we got started um, let's try to take two cars and this time everyone was on board with that. They're like, yeah, let's, let's go for it. And one of the participants who had a, a larger car than my own, which I was going to try and cram three other people into, said, hey, you know, you can drive my car. So I'd, I'd never met this person before. They had no knowledge of my driving record, which is, which is pretty good, by the way, but it just as easily might have not been. And this, this whole experience is pretty much par for the course for birders that occurred to me during and, and immediately after the big day. How often do any of us crawl into the car of someone who was a complete stranger five minutes ago? And more, you know, do that willing to spend up to 14 hours in that car with the person without, you know, a single issue. I can think of, you know, many instances where I have done that, but that experience might seem very odd to non-birders. And in fact, I think it actually does does to the non-birders that I know personally, and I've sort of related these these sort of things to, it, it doesn't for us, they were sort of in the tribe, as, as some birders like to say. Of course, there's nothing like a shared passion and interest to ward off any sort of potential personality conflicts. Like, I may disagree with people on any number of things, and I probably do, but, I, you know, I could talk about birds for days. So social hiccups tend to get smoothed over that way. Anyway, uh, this is just another incidence of this birding culture being one of sort of friendliness and conciliation in ways that are expected, I guess, but also sort of pleasantly surprising uh, every time. And also just a, a tip for multi-car birding trips. We had we had two cars, and my co-leader and I used a, a free app called Zello. That's Z E L L O. It essentially turns your phone into a walkie-talkie, uh, which is really helpful when you're trying to quickly get multiple people in, in multiple cars on something. Very neat. Useful little app. I look forward to finding more uses for it. Just wanted to throw that out there if anyone is sort of in the same position that I was in. On the show today, a bit of a longer interview, this time with a friend of the ABA, Alvaro Jaramillo. We're going to talk about the impacts of the 2017 hurricane season on birds of the Caribbean, specifically Barbuda, Dominica, and Puerto Rico. It's an issue that a lot of birders are interested in these days. A fair warning though, I recorded this with Al over Skype while he was in Chile for the South American Bird Fair. It's not bad or unlistenable anything, but there are a couple places that sounds a bit like you might expect a Skype conversation using Chilean hotel internet to sound. Um, please stick with it. We do get it figured out pretty quickly into the conversation, but I do want to let you know off the top just in case you're you're wondering. So Al will be joining me right after this week's Rare Birds. <laughs> This is your rare bird focus for the last part of October 2017. We had a couple extraordinary sightings in this period. Probably the best was a yellow-breasted bunting in southern Labrador, not least of which because we get to talk about Labrador and not its much birdier provincial partner Newfoundland. Uh, the yellow-breasted bunting was found at Forto Bay in the yard of one Vernon buckle who sleuthed out the bird's identity. This is not only a first provincial record, but a first for Canada and a first for the entire eastern part of the continent, Previous records of this species in the ABA area have all come from western Alaska, though California does have a couple unaccepted records. This is an extra special bird because yellow-breasted bunting is endangered in its range, its population in the last two decades having completely crashed, which is not an exaggeration. They breed in eastern Europe, northwestern Russia, and winter in vast, dense, very dense flocks in southern China and southeast Asia. Uh, This behavior, unfortunately, makes them easy targets for bird trappers and thousands can be captured at one time uh, where they are often sold as food. What that means is that it is not clear when or if another of this species will occur in North America, which makes this find all the more special and a little bit bittersweet. In New Jersey, a common green shank has been entertaining birders for the last week at Forsyth National Wildlife Refuge. This bird is a fairly regular find in western Alaska, but records on the east coast are much rarer, though Atlantic Canada has a few, and apparently Florida has one as well. This represents a first record for New Jersey. Other exciting records to note include a first shiny cowbird in Maryland. Maybe that species is finally making its long-predicted move out of Florida. Uh, Nova Scotia's first record of tropical kingbird was seen in Yarmouth. Quebec had a first provincial common ground dove at Val d'Or. And a gray flycatcher in Fairfield, Connecticut was a state first there. That is a pretty quick roundup of the most exceptional ABA vagrants for the period, but there are more. To see the full continental picture, check out the ABA blog every Friday morning. And for the most recent news on rare birds in the U.S. and Canada, join us at the ABA's Rare Bird Alert Facebook group. You can find that at facebook.com groups ABA Rare. The 2017 hurricane season was notable for the scale of the tropical storms involved and the destruction that they caused, not only where they made landfall in the United States, but also the islands of the Caribbean that they passed over. The Caribbean is crawling with birds found nowhere else on Earth, and Hurricanes Irma and Maria specifically took paths that crossed some of those islands with those birds, and the impact of those storms is still not known completely and may not be known for a long time. My guest is uh, Alvaro Jaramillo. He runs the bird tour company Alvaro's Adventures. I could probably talk to you, Al, about just about anything, but you've spent some time on these islands, so that's what we're going to talk about this time. So, I I know you're in Chile right now. Thanks so much for making time for me. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I I think that a lot of North American birders are, are probably not super aware of the distinctiveness of bird life in the Caribbean. Um, you know, we know about the endemics on the larger islands a little bit, but there are so many of these smaller islands as well. Why, why do you think that they are so sort of underappreciated? I
1: think, for one thing, that the lesser antilles, all the little islands, often they're, very, they're different countries. So people, you know, as birders often go and visit one country, right? So they might go to St. Lucia and then they don't think about, hey, maybe I should just go to the neighboring island, you know, or to Martinique or what have you. So I think that people don't, you know, very few people have sort of gone and visited all those little islands from Grenada all the way up to, you know, Antigua and the, uh, and also the, you know, the Virgin Islands farther north.
0: Yeah, sort of a logistical challenge just to like yeah. get every single one of those. And there aren't too many, I guess you could take like those cruise ships that leave from Florida and hit a bunch of them, but, you know, they don't necessarily hit the birdie ones. They'll go to the ones with the really nice beaches, perhaps.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, the way I got to these islands was by doing bird tours and there were very specific bird tours and I'm not... I'm not even sure if they exist anymore.
0: Um, so we could we could probably talk about a lot of these islands, but we'll we'll focus on three or four that were affected greatly by these hurricanes: uh, Barbuda, Dominica, and Puerto Rico, and to a lesser extent, Cuba as well. Uh, each are, are really different, but we can start with Barbuda. You know, the northern island of the nation of Antigua and Barbuda. It's home to us, as, as many of us learned this fall, to the endemic Barbuda warbler. Uh, what is what is that island like?
1: It's a really cool island. It was actually one of my favorite ones because it's, you know, when I went to Barbuda and I've been there maybe four times, I really enjoyed it because it didn't have major buildings, infrastructure, or towns. And you could walk down the roads or drive down the roads and just go birding. And, and often I found it was really good for migrants. And so we found some unusual things there. It was flat. You know, with some kind of almost limestoney outcroppings in some places, and the outcroppings had nesting tropic <laughs> birds and um the flat areas were shrubby and um not a lush kind of island at all. it was it was more short trees and a few cacti, that type of thing. It was a pretty it, neat island. I really liked it. really thought it was interesting and different. And hardly anybody went
0: there, but Barbuda Warbler is just such a really neat little bird. It looks sort of like, you know if you're familiar with North American birds, if listeners are familiar, it sort of looks like a almost like a Grace's Warbler, but kind of like muted, like kind of blurry, maybe a little bit it's really sharp looking sharp looking bird and I know that after the hurricane hit, they evacuated everyone from the island, and we, people weren't sure whether or not the Barbuda warbler had made it, but fortunately, you know Bird's Caribbean was able to go back and and find a few who knows, yeah. you know wh- how it's going to do going forward but there's no one living on the island currently do you think that the evacuation the fact that they had to pull everybody off the island will be a good thing for the barbuda warbler going forward in the near term i suppose
1: i think they're sort of living okay with people there you know i mean because the numbers of people that lived on barbuda were just so small and there you know there was a little you know bit of uh, clearing that there were big stretches of just that that native forest around that the, the warbler did well you would leave town, and it didn't take you more than half an hour to find Barbuda warbler. It was, you know, even though the world population was maybe a couple of thousand at the most, on and, and just, just on that one island, and if you think about that, it was really a rare bird. On the island, it didn't seem like a rare bird. It seemed like a, a bird that was doing quite well. So to think that it's gone to the point of it took them a while to find a few birds, to me, is really alarming. You know, one, one, one way to look, look at it is, great, they're still there, of course, that's great, but the other way to look at it is like, wow, one of the most common birds, suddenly is not common. I think the key is how quickly those trees that are alive regain leaves because all the leaves are gone on those trees, and while when they found the warblers, there still had not been any green growth coming back, so how long do they survive with a depleted food source because leaves equals insects and insects equals food and all that so i'm you know i'm just sort of like thinking gosh you know i mean we're on the right track they're still there but uh, i'm not so sure that whether the people are there or not is 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 that as as vital as um what happens to the the vegetation and also you know if if it gets down to it if if they're really down to the last bunch maybe you know, somebody needs to think about keeping them in captivity until the habitat comes back. Because um, it will, the habitat will come back. It's just a question of can the bird survive until it comes back? It's scary.
0: Yeah. Moving on to uh, Dominica, you know, it's a volcanic island, lots of kind of elevational diversity, and then two species of endemic parrots, uh, imperial parrot and the redneck parrot. But that is, that is not the only thing that's... It's unique there, is it?
1: <laughs> no. There's a, a form of the house wren there. It is so different from any house wren you will ever see or hear that I'm I'm convinced it's a it's a different species, different and endemic. And there are various house wrens on the Lesser Antilles that are are different, you know, in Grenada on St. Vincent, St. Lucia and and, 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 um, and there are a couple that are gone from Martinique and Guadeloupe. So this creature not only does looks odd and so forth, but it, it it's inside the forest and it climbs around in the vines, almost like a funny, dark, wren, creepery thing. Unfortunately, because the taxonomy is still sort of considers it a house trend, people have not really paid much attention to it um, in many ways. But uh, I do wonder if it's if it's still there. Um, it wasn't a bird that was I mean it was common in the forest and it didn't take you a long time to find them but it wasn't like they were everywhere either you know so the parrots on the other hand especially the imperial parrot is really quite rare it really would take you sometimes 2 days of looking to find an imperial parrot when when the habitat was there
0: that's a, it is a really flashy looking amazon parrot i mean amazon parrots tend to be all sort of variations on a th- on a green theme but uh imperial parrot is no, it's really cool-looking, purplish red. Yeah, it's a very large for an for an Amazon as well. I, I I think it's the biggest. I
1: think it's the biggest Amazon parrot, and it it flies like a hawk. It has a funny sort of flapping and then glides and flaps and glides. It almost reminds you of a, um, a red-shouldered hawk when it when it flew. That's interesting. And you know, not only is it you know rare and interesting and weird-looking endemic but it's it's also the national bird and it's, it's on their flag you know it's really culturally yeah. an important bird for people in dominica and you know getting back also to your point about how different this island is the Lesser Antilles really sort of come in, there's two chains. One of them is like a volcanic chain of islands, and one of them is really a sedimentary chain of islands. And so when you're, you're Dominica, uh, you really, it's like night and day from Barbuda. Barbuda is a sort of flat, limestoney, y sandy uh, place. While Dominica is this lush mountain, you know, where you, you really feel like, you know, the moment you left the road and wandered, you know, you could probably walk for miles and not see a soul up in the hills. Um, and in fact, um, the big mountain that, you know, around which people used to go look for the parrots is is called Mount Diablotin. And Diablotin is sort of the devil bird and the Devil bird, in fact, was black petrel that used to nest in there. <laughs> and and there's a the thought that it may still nest in the area. So, you know, we're talking about not just the parrots, there's a the whole other system of, of rare birds that could be there, or the, the wren and some species that are only shared with one other island, you know, like Plumbius warbler. And it's just the effect of, of you know, what's happened to Dominica could be, or many many species that are are now going to be perhaps you know elevated to to birds that are really at risk
0: yeah i mean i i read somewhere uh, with with regards to the imperial parrot um you know it's it's a high elevation bird so it's up higher in these in these mountains and the the highest winds of the hurricane were actually at, unfortunately at the elevation where these these birds live and for a large bodied bird you know, maybe maybe a wren might be able to get down into some some tangled area and and stay relatively sheltered from from a storm. But for a large-bodied bird like imperial parrot, this these sort of storms can be really devastating.
1: Yeah, and to put into perspective, you know the devastation that all the you know if, if you're wondering why hasn't nobody really found this bird or why are they maybe not looking, I think there are people looking, but. The, the issue is that, you know, the, the prime minister of, of the country lost his roof, you know, we're talking everybody in that yes. country is essentially, you know, thinking about other things right now. Right. And the right. main birder who who would, you know, was a tour guide and everybody knew him as Dr. Birdie. <laughs> and he had a <laughs> special van, you know, he would take people out in and so on, really friendly guy. I mean, he lost his house. so. Yeah. I mean he's he's not thinking right now about going doing surveys for parrots. I'm sure he's nice. probably thinking about, you know, how to recover his life.
0: Yeah, has more immediate needs. Immediate yeah. needs.
1: And so I'm hoping that that's what's happening. That what's happening is that attention is elsewhere and the parrot um, you know, the Imperial Parrot is, is still up there somewhere, and it'll, it'll reappear once, once we sort of have the, you know, ability to go and really look for it seriously, because it may be that, that the ones that one used to see near the road, which were sort of like, as you said, the, the edge of the, uh, the distribution that is really sort of higher up and further away from the, from the, the roads, maybe they're still up there, but uh, it will take a more concerted effort to try and find them. I do know that they have found, you know, the other parrot is still there that, and I, I, you know, it's funny that they they also have their own, the local names. It's the, I I always knew them as the Cicero and the Jaco.
0: (laughs) Now I sometimes forget what they're called in English. (laughs) Yeah, redneck parrot, which is not nearly as as evocative. (laughs) Right. (laughs) They they have a facility, I guess, on the island where they have have bred them in captivity and then released them. And and there were some that survived in the facility. And I, I think that there were some that were seen relatively close to sea level too it's it's a parrot that's found further further down closer to where people are and so there were some at least i had read from right. birds caribbean that they had found a few so exactly. that's heartening
1: and and also it was always the species that was much more common so you would mm-hmm. you would see many redneck parrots for every imperial parrot that you saw so mm-hmm. it makes sense that it would be the one that would be first found but uh, I'm hopeful that uh, the Imperial Parrot is still still around because it really was pretty fantastic. It wasn't, yeah. I, you know, I think a lot of birders probably go to the tropics and see Amazon parrots and they know that, you know, the Mealy Parrot is a new one and the Orange-Winged is a different one. And they, mm-hmm. But... You know, they almost kind of blend into each other, you completely. know, because completely, they're, yeah. they're green and they got a little bit of yellow, maybe a little blue here or there, whatever. And they're but,
0: always screaming when they go over. Yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> but the imperial parrot was just completely different. You know, it's just it was a, it was a weird looking, amazing thing, you know, and it's uh, it's 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 really sad that we're at this state because of, of these events.
0: Finally, we'll move on to, uh, to Puerto Rico, technically part of the United States, but, you know, it's a shockingly high percentage of Americans maybe don't, don't realize that, or at least they didn't before the hurricanes made clear, you know, our obligations to that island. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 17 endemics, uh, run the gamut from hummingbirds to owls, to blackbirds. It's the only rainforest in the U.S. national forest system. What do you think is the prognosis for, for a lot of those birds and sort of the growing birding and bird conservation community in, in Puerto Rico?
1: Part of it is, you know, some some of the species um, in Puerto Rico are, are really quite local and, and you know, are sort of one corner of the island or the other. The Puerto Rican parrot, again, is one of the real rare ones. There's been a real concerted effort to bring its numbers back up over the years. And yellow-shouldered blackbird is sort of in another corner and the night birds are sort of in another corner and then up top in the higher reaches, you know, we have the elfin woods, warbler and Puerto Rican tanager and things. So there's kind of various different places in the Island. Although, you know, on the map, it doesn't look like a small, a big Island. It, you know, it actually is relatively big and it all depends, I think, partially on what, where the, the worst damage was. And we still don't really have a clear picture because, of course, all, again, all the attention is going to trying to get people water, electricity, and other things. So, yeah. you know, if, yeah. if you sort of said, hey, I'd like to do some bird surveys here, I think they would just look <laughs> at you like, it's not the time, friend, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, and, and, you know, roads, some of them are not accessible and, and so forth, bridges are, are out. So it'll depend on exactly where the worst damage was and what species uh, were hit hardest by, by those winds. And I imagine that the Puerto Rican parrot is going to be one of the ones that is is going to be top, the sort of problem list, because it was, again, a little higher up, and it was up towards the northeastern part of the, uh, the island, which, which I think got hit pretty hard. <laughs> There are other things, too, and again, with, you know, sort of like the wren, you know, and, and Dominica that are worth thinking about. There's a there's a shark shinned hawk in Puerto Rico that is incredibly different from a, a regular shark hawk that is endemic to the island a subspecies uh, that probably deserves to be his full species. And it was really, really rare to begin with. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, uh, it was the kind of thing with some of the Puerto Rican ornithologists thought they were only, I don't know, you know, I mean uh, I wouldn't say a handful of pairs, but maybe there was just a few hundred left on the island. So, again, that, you know, that species wasn't getting the full attention, perhaps, of, of the system, because it's, it's not a, a, a species uh, yet, an, an, or at least confirmed. One of the things that really is uh, an advantage for Puerto Rico versus the other islands is that the Endangered Species Act actually functions on Puerto Rico, there is a, <laughs> a law and the U.S. and money from the U.S. will, in theory, um, shift to that part of, you know, the U.S. territory to, to eventually try to work through some of these problems. But as if, you know, I mean, everybody knows there's not enough money out there for conservation and, and both Puerto Rico and Hawaii have suffered from the fact that they have a lot of co- conservation issues. and. Just
0: by virtue of being islands. Yeah, by
1: virtue of being islands. And politically, that's not necessarily where the money gets to, uh, the limited money that there is. But at least there's a system by which people can say, hold on a second here, you know, we need to focus attention on those Puerto Rican birds.
0: We've talked a lot about the destruction, but, you know, now with so many of these places in rebuilding mode, do you think that there might now be opportunities to sort of reprioritize... The economies of some of these some of these islands towards protection of these these birds and these natural places,
1: assuming that that we eventually find populations of some of these birds and things start to recuperate, we're trying to put back together not only a natural system over there and you know make sure that these birds can recuperate, but we also want the people to to be able to recuperate their countries and their their way of life and so forth. I think it does open up a, a possibility. Dominica and Barbuda were two of the least visited islands by tourists at all, because essentially Dominica, you know, doesn't have big beaches and so forth, and what it had was wonderful forests and nature, and it just seems to me like it was a missed opportunity to, to, to have developed sort of an ecotourism, avitourism situation there where people could in fact gain employment from the wonderful birds and nature that they had. So now it's sort of a time to think about birders from the outside and maybe organizations from the outside in Birds Caribbean, trying to plant this idea, this seed of an idea that, well, while we're rebuilding, let's try to rebuild to an economy where, you know, the birds and the people are kind of related in a way that's mutually beneficial for both.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, thanks so much for uh, for joining me, Al. Uh, Alvaro Jaramillo runs Alvaro's Adventures. That's at uh, alvarosadventures.com. He is in Chile. Thank goodness for technology that we were able to t- talk to him. Um, thanks for making time for me. Hopefully, we'll get to talk to you again soon. Yeah, thanks so much, Nate.
1: It's been great.
0: The interview went long today, so I am passing on the opportunity for a commentary, but there is one thing I want to say. Uh, The American Birding Association is holding its annual membership meeting on Saturday, November 11th at 5 p.m. at the Harlingen Municipal Auditorium in Harlingen, Texas, in partnership with our friends at the Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival. We will have a number of ABA staff down there. I hope you will come and say hi. Uh, This meeting, however, will include an update on efforts to save Santa Ana National Wildlife Refuge and dozens of of storied birding spots from the proposed border wall. You can also meet our new board members. And after the meeting, there will be a concert in the park featuring local band Del Castillo and an assortment of food trucks. Uh, We hope that many of you, if you have made plans to come down to the Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival. It is an amazing festival. You will have a great time. We hope that those of you who have come down will make plans to join us at the membership meeting once again. That is Saturday, November 11th at 5 p.m. at the Harlingen Municipal Auditorium, Harlingen, Texas. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. The October issue of Birding Magazine is online now, as is the most recent Birders Guide to Listing and Taxonomy, featuring a discussion of the recent American Ornithological Society taxonomic changes. I know our listeners enjoy that stuff. Members of the ABA receive those magazines, a total of 10 publications per year, filled with amazing birding information. You can find them at publications.aba.org and get more information about joining at aba.org/join. Join. Special thanks to Bradley Devon of Costa Mesa, California, who joined the ABA recently and noted this podcast as the reason. Thanks, Bradley, and welcome to the ABA. If you enjoy this podcast, you can help us out by heading over to Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast dispensary you prefer and leaving us a review or a rating. Your comments help us to improve and help other interested people find us. Thanks for that. Executive producer and president of the ABA is Jeffrey Gordon. Technical production is by John Lowry, with help from Greg Neese and David Hartley. You can find us online at aba.org on Facebook at facebook.com slash birders and on twitter at aba that is not to be confused with the American Beauty Association who provides resources and tools that offer valuable insights into the makeup and beauty world. Now be honest there's a lot of room for overlap here. I always thought the eyebrow thrush can could use a little plucking, maybe thin that super silly image more of an arch, really open up the face. And, you know, the mustache to Aunt pitta Have you considered waxing? Uh, it's a little unsightly there. Mass duck. Isn't there some sort of under eye cream for that? It's really time for you guys to shape up. Questions and comments can come to me at podcast.aba.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Till next time.